Well, we're in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And uh, last week we looked at uh, Satan, Satan's strategy. Um, you know, he was in his conversation with Eve. He wanted Eve to question and doubt and, and not believe God's word. And, and he was successful in that. Um, by the end of that conversation... Eve was doubting God's character, his goodness, his provision, his will for her life. And uh, Satan is a master manipulator. Uh, his, he has a cunning strategy. He is a, he is a gifted counterfeiter. Whatever God does, uh, Satan has a counterfeit. And uh, most, of, most of all, Satan is a liar. He is the father of all lies. And he wants to convince God's people, he wants to uh, convince this world that uh, what God says is absolutely not true. And he is not to be believed. Um, and so we need to be aware of his schemes, church. Because uh, Whatever he did to convince Eve, he is convincing every person who's come along after Eve, after Adam. And whatever, whatever Satan promises, he never ever delivers. And the consequences of his promises far exceed any temporary pleasure you're going to get in following uh, what he is encouraging you, tempting you to do. Satan never delivers on his promises. And following that conversation in Genesis chapter 3, um, Eve, the Bible says, looked at that tree. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was the delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. She looked at that tree it's a real tree, a literal tree. This is an historical fact. According to God's word, she looked at that tree and she saw that, ay, that tree, that, it's food. It's going to nourish me. In fact, that food looks really good. And I'm going to be a better person if I partake of that fruit. And so instead of listening to God and His will for her life, she doubted God. She didn't believe what God had to say. And the Bible says she ate the fruit and then gave it to her husband. And as she was eating the fruit... She's thinking to herself, the serpent's right. I'm not dying. 
Nothing's happening to me. And she turns to her husband and says, Look, Adam, I'm okay. It tastes really good. Have it yourself. And he eats. And they don't die right on the spot. Oh, they die spiritually. Things begin to unravel rather quickly. But they're going to live for another 900 years. The Bible says that Adam lived to 930 years old. And he eventually died physically. But there are significant consequences that followed their act of rebellion. And so with that, let's begin in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They pathetically tried to cover their shame and guilt with fig leaves. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So we're going to look at this uh, carefully this morning. But uh, I want you to know that when they ate the food, things began to unravel. They, their eyes, the Bible said, were open. They knew what evil was like for the very first time. Up to this point, all they knew what was, is what was good. And everything God created was good. And they enjoyed the fellowship of Yahweh Elohim in the garden each and every day. Life was good. But in verse 7, when they ate, they then began to realize the difference between what's good and now what's evil. And they saw their nakedness with each other and they were ashamed and they began to 
cover themselves. This is when sin entered the world. And this is why everything is the way it is today uh, when it comes to evil. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3. We just commemorated the 20th anniversary of 9-11. 20 years ago yesterday, we saw what evil truly looked like. The church, we see evil every single day. I have junior high and high school students in, in the service this morning. And you're on a public high school campus. And it's, that doesn't mean Christian school campuses are immune to evil. But you know the atmosphere of evil at, with, at the school that you attend. And I'm not talking about teachers, okay? I'm talking about your peers. I'm talking about the atmosphere. And there is a population of young people who don't know God, who are biblically Ill- illiterate, and it is manifesting itself each and every day and each and every moment of what comes out of their hearts. Evil is everywhere. And it originated with this one sinful event in verse 7. So this morning I want to look at God. As God came into... um, the midst of the garden following this fall. I want to look at Adam's response. I want to look at Eve's response. And then I want us to look at our response today. What God would have us to do. But notice first God. I want you to see God's grace in verse 8. And in this conversation. God doesn't come into the garden and is ready to let them have it. As God came into their garden in the cool of their day, cool of the day, to fellowship with Adam and Eve once again, like he has been every day prior to. You know, God knows what's happened. God knows that Adam and Eve have been disobedient to them, to him. But God isn't looking to kill them on the spot. God wants to forgive. God wants to redeem. God wants to restore the relationship. And so I want you to see that God comes seeking the sinner. And that's who our God is. God doesn't love our sin, but God loves the sinner. And he has come and he has sought every one of us while we were yet sinners. God comes to this garden, in in this garden, and he is seeking Adam and Eve. He's not coming in 
thundering. <laughs> what did you guys do? I told you to avoid that. That is not his heart at all. He comes into the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? It's not, Adam, where are you? That is not it at all. I want you to see his gentleness. His concern. His compassion. His mercy. That's the tone of the question. And it's not a geographical question. God knows exactly where Adam and Eve are. But it's a spiritual question of concern. Adam, where are you? What have you done? We've always had this relationship. We've enjoyed this fellowship in the garden. Then all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are nowhere to be found. Adam, where are you? I want you to hear him say that to you this morning. It's a question of grace and compassion. He's concerned about each and every one of us. God sought Adam and Eve. And what he wanted Adam and Eve to do was confess. They never confessed. They beat around the bush. They never answered God's question directly. But in his questioning, He wanted them to be transparent. He wanted them to be honest. Where are you in verse 9, verse 11? Who told you that you were naked? Verse 11, have you eaten from the tree? But they don't answer God's question. Because they're in depravity. Sin wants to hide. Sin wants to blame somebody else. They want to pass the buck. They don't want to step into the light. And what God wanted them to do, what God wants each and every one of us to do, is be honest with Him. That we were wrong. That we have sinned that we need his forgiveness his restoration in our life and so see God's grace we're back to God being called Yahweh Elohim in the conversation between the serpent and Eve God was just Elohim he was just another name for God. He was impersonal. But now God is back in the garden. And four times 
he is identified in this passage of Scripture as Jehovah, Creator God, Redeemer God. That's who God is in this text. He's not there to let him have it. He's there to restore and forgive. Adam's response. We see Adam hiding in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They're hiding. Friends, that's what, that's what sin does. We hide from God. We're ashamed. We want to cover up. We know that we've done wrong, and so we just want to avoid the situation. Avoid the issue. That's what sin does. What does Adam's hiding look like today? For Adam, he hid among the, the trees of the garden. But what do, what do people today do to try to hide from God? Well, number one, they, they try to deny that God doesn't exist. God isn't real. He's a fabric of people's imaginations. He's a myth. And so they deny God's existence. Or they make up a God who will approve of their rebellious lifestyle. And how often have we seen that going on today? And that's why we have all the different religions of the world Because they want to deny the God of the universe, the creator God, who has made himself abundantly obvious in creation, according to Romans chapter 1, every man is without excuse, the Bible says. We have the ability to know God simply by seeing his his creation. And yet man has rejected that God, but God has built within the heart of every man the need to worship something. And so they create their own God. And they worship in the form of animals or or idols or sports teams. (laughs) You know... It's, it's, I'm talking about myself this morning, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm not above reproach as I'm preaching this sermon. I'm preaching this sermon to me this morning. But I have the tendency when things that I like are going well to make that an idol. And one thing that's going really well right now is the San Francisco Giants baseball team. They're in first place. They have the best team in baseball. And guess what? I'm obsessed with that. 
and I'm just constantly looking at my phone and not missing a game. And that seems to be a priority of my life, and it's a miserable idol. But we all struggle with idols. And what is an idol? It's something that's more important than God in my life, in your life. But people hide by worshiping other things. They suppress the truth. They know what God wants for their life. They know that uh, they know what sin is, but they cho- choose to ignore what God says and they suppress that truth. So those are ways that we hide from God. So my question to you this morning, Adam, we're all Adam. We're all Eve. How are you hiding from God? We can't hide from God. It's impossible to hide from God. God knows all things. Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139, let me read verses 7 through 12. David says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You can't run from God. My friend, that, that verse ought to encourage you that wherever you might be, However deep you might feel or life might take you because of circumstances in your life, and you might think God has abandoned you, David says, no, he hasn't. He knows exactly where you are, and he is there himself. And wants to minister his presence in your life if you will call upon him. That's our God. It's a God of compassion, a God of love, a God of presence, Yahweh, Elohim, our Redeemer, our God. Not only did Adam try to hide, he was afraid. He was afraid when he hid. And in his fear, you know what? He's trying to pin on God that he's a bad guy. Because God has told Adam and Eve that if you eat 
of this fruit, you will surely die. But I'm not sure they knew what death was like. They had no knowledge of evil when everything was good. But now fear from the fall has come into their hearts. And they fear him that he's going to kill them. And they've twisted this around as if it's God's fault. He's the bad guy. And that's not where God's coming from, this passage of Scripture. That's what evil does. They had no reason to fear prior to eating the fruits. But now, because of evil, they're afraid. I'm sure all of you have uh, watched watch stories over the weekend of 9-11. You know, every anniversary, we learn, we learn a new story. And uh, what happened 20 years ago. And, um, you know, when the media shows the events of 9-11, it's sanitized. They don't show the gory parts of what happened. And they didn't show the gory parts, parts last night, but I listened to the testimony of some people who were um, working in the, um, on Wall Street, in the Wall Street building, which was across the street from one of the towers. And for several of them, they didn't leave their building right away as the planes had hit the building. But then when they heard that one of the towers had fallen, there were about four people still left in that building, and they made their way out. And they began to describe what they saw on the sidewalk and what they heard as people were jumping from the buildings because they didn't want to burn to death. But they just said it was just horrific. And they couldn't look at it. And they couldn't walk that way. They had to turn and they had to walk another way where there weren't any bodies on the ground. And it's just, as I listened to that testimony, that's the fruit of evil. And it originated in chapter 3 of Genesis. Not to chapter 4 yet, but in chapter 4 it's going to be the first murder. Cain kills Abel. You know, a, a brother kills a brother. He's jealous of his brother. But this is the result of sin. And the Bible describes why things are the way they are today because of man's disobedience. And so Adam hides because he's embarrassed. He hides because he's afraid. He's afraid of the consequences of, of, the, of the, the sin that he's committed. 
But God continues to ask, who told you that you were naked? Again, it's the tone. Not, who told you you were naked? Who told you? How did you discover this? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? These are God's questions. He's encouraging Adam and Eve to confess, to come clean. And what is Adam's response? Verse 12. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And Adam said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. God, it's her fault. And actually, God, no, it's your fault, God, because you gave me that woman. I went to bed single one night, and I got up the next morning and looked next to me, and there was this woman. That you gave to me. I didn't choose her, God. You gave her to me. Passing the buck. And how many times have, have we heard, I didn't do it. They did it. Especially if you're a parent. My son, my son Kyle, his favorite church shirt was, It wasn't me. Where did he get that from? Well, probably me. (laughs) But it goes all the way back to Adam. It's her fault. It's your fault, God. And he passes the buck. He never says. Yahweh... It's me. I'm to blame. He doesn't make that confession. God doesn't hear that from them. He passes the buck. And so God goes to Eve in verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. Eve also passes the buck. She doesn't take responsibility. Neither of them take responsibility. She says, the devil made me do it. And how many of us have said the same thing when we have disobeyed God? You want to be forgiven? You want to be redeemed? You want to be in a right relationship with God? God longs to be in a right relationship with you. But it starts with confession. God, I'm wrong. God, I'm a sinner. 
We'll get to this in a couple weeks. <laughs> but you can trade in those loincloths, those fig leaves, and God will clothe you with His love and His righteousness and His forgiveness. That's what needs to be our response. Not try to cover our tracks. Man is really good at covering our tracks. Erasing history trails. God knows it all. God knows that man loves the darkness more than he loves the light. But Jesus wants us to step into the light to be set free from our sin we can't afford to hide we can't afford to shift the blame you know to to say to God you know life life's been really hard lately God and I I deserve some me time no don't be shifting blame take responsibility confess your sin sinfulness prevents us from confessing sin and it is only God's grace that can open our eyes to our sinfulness confess our sin. Adam and Eve, they're depraved. They're unable and unwilling to confess their sin. But when God's grace intervenes, it's not something we deserve. It's not something that we can earn. It's only God's grace his love and compassion. And when he gives us that grace to believe, to see our sin, we can confess. And my friend, that is a wonderful place to be. Oh, it's hard. You got to humble yourself. You got to come to him in childlike faith. But when He gives you the grace for you to admit and confess your sin, my friend, you're a new person. That doesn't mean life is going to be perfect and carefree and you're never going to have a problem again. No. (laughs) You'll probably have more problems. But there's going to be a overwhelms your soul because you have been made right with your creator God through his son Jesus how do you know how do you know if you're a Christian you know people people struggle with that question How do I know that I'm saved? If I were to die today, how do I know that I would be in heaven for all eternity? 
Boy, we want to know the answer to that question. Yeah, you know how you know? You're willing to be honest with God? You're willing to admit your sinfulness and your need for a Savior? That's God's grace. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No man is looking for God on his own. It's only because of the grace of God working in that person's life. Let me read Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we see that work everywhere, don't we? You were once that way, the Bible says, but among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. But those are two of the greatest words in the whole body, in the whole Bible. As bad as it was in our life, as as rebellious, as our hearts once were, verse 4, but God came walking in the cool of the garden of your life. Hmm. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. That's how you know you're a Christian. You've been convicted of your sin by the grace of God and you've confessed that to him you've asked God to forgive you that is not of your own doing the Bible says that is completely his grace that has given you the faith to see to understand and confess. It's God who saves. You can't save yourself. There's nothing 
you or I can boast about in what we've done for God. No. It's all what God has done for us. And so hear the question this morning from God. Where are you? Are you listening for his voice? Or are you listening at all the other voices around you in this evil world? Stop hiding. Stop living in fear. Stop trying to pretend that God does not exist or that he's overbearing and unloving and unkind. No. God is longing for you to come home. Satan is a liar. And you know, 20 years ago, we saw the effects, the impact of 9-11. And you know what happened after 9-11, 20 years ago? God got our attention. God got this nation's attention. Churches were full for two weeks. And things went back to the way they were. And they've gotten worse. But God hasn't changed. God is very patient. But he's not going to be patient forever. God's word is true. If you don't repent, you will surely die for all eternity. But right now, God's grace is in play. If things are pretty good in your life, it's only the grace of God. And He is, His kindness, the Bible says, is wooing you to Himself. I just want to encourage you to get real with him. To confess. To step into the light. And if you see it, and if this is what you know you need to do, guess what? My friend, that is the grace of God working in your life right now. And I beg you, to respond to him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this text that is as relevant as and as more real than this morning's newspaper. We see your truths living out all around us. The, the consequences of sin the evilness that's in this world. 
God, your grace is greater. Thank you for your patience. If there's one here this morning who's watching by Facebook or is here in this building, God, may they respond to the invitation this morning. Come to know you. Is there Yahweh Elohim, their covenant creator, redeemer God, who forgives their sin? Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing.